Welcome to NoSpinHomilies.com. I invite you to join me to reflect upon the homilies of Father Dan. Father Dan will challenge us to open our heart, mind, and soul to the Word of God. Father Dan will draw upon sacred scripture along with art, literature, and the lives of the saints to help us grow in our love and knowledge of the scripture. In doing so, we can become the living Word of God in this world. Now it is my pleasure to present to you No Spin Homilies. Over the past few weeks, we have been reading from Paul's letter to the Romans in the second reading. Now, during this time frame, Paul, as you could say, made the argument that we are justified through our baptism. Justified means we have a right relationship with God, and yet it all started at our baptism. Well, this weekend, in the second reading, Paul, you could say, concludes his argument. Now he says, through baptism, we have sanctification. What that means is holiness. Now, ironic enough, all three of the scripture readings for this weekend speak to us, and they remind us about the three baptismal roles we accepted at the time of our baptism, the roles of priest, prophet, and king. And Jeremiah, St. Paul, and Jesus remind us that sometimes it's difficult to live out these roles. Sometimes we live them out in the shadow of the cross. Let's first start with the first reading. Here, we read from the book of the prophet Jeremiah. Now, right now, the Israelites have been conquered by the Babylonians, and they've been brought to live in Babylon, which is present-day Iraq. So it was quite a journey for them. They're living in Babylon as slaves to the Babylonians. Now, for decades and decades, the Israelites prayed to God that God would release them, rescue them from their slavery, and yet God never did. So the Israelites lost faith. They gave up. They thought God had abandoned them. So they felt like they were on their own. So now they take matters into their own hands. The Israelites, they go to the king of Babylon and they try and negotiate a deal. They say to him, you know, what can we do to win our freedom? Well, here are the king's terms. The king says to them, I'll let you go. I'll let you go home free. But you have to be a subject of Babylon, which means... Now they are subject to all Babylonian laws. Worse yet, they're subject to and must practice all Babylonian religious practices, which includes worshiping pagan idols. So the Israelites basically have to commit apostasy. They have to first deny their own faith and then begin to worship these Babylonian gods. Well, the Israelites are about to take the deal because they want to be freed. Now, Jeremiah, the prophet, hears about this and he goes to the Israelites and he says, no, don't do this. You know, instead, have faith in God. Just wait, wait a little while longer and God will rescue them. Now, what Jeremiah sees, he sees a vision of the future as prophet. He sees that the Persian empire, which is a neighboring empire to the Babylonians, will rise up and conquer the Babylonians. Then King Cyrus of Persia will tell the Israelites that they can go home free. And see, that's the will or the hand of God acting to rescue the Israelites. And Jeremiah sees it's only a few years away. So he pleads with the Israelites you know, to have faith and to believe in God. And yet, what's the Israelites' problem? They don't have any faith. They don't believe. 
and therefore they refuse to listen to Jeremiah. Now, despite this, Jeremiah continues to preach with faith. But after a while, the Israelites, they begin to make fun of Jeremiah. Jeremiah becomes an object of ridicule and scorn. Well, this frustrates Jeremiah, even makes him angry. He's done everything that God has asked him to do. He's faithfully preached the truth, and yet God has not helped Jeremiah at all. The people think Jeremiah is a joke. They ignore him. They make fun of him. So what does Jeremiah do? Well, in his anger and frustration, he quits. He simply says, I give up. I'm not going to do this anymore. Despite the fact that God himself called Jeremiah, Jeremiah wants to quit. See, now with that in mind, go into the first reading. It begins to make some sense. You duped me, O Lord. I let myself be duped. You were too strong for me and you triumph. All day I am the object of laughter. Everyone mocks me. Whenever I speak, I must cry out violence and outrage in my message. The word of the Lord has brought me derision and reproach all the day. I say to myself, I will not mention him. I will speak his name no more. But it comes like burning in my heart, imprisoned in my bones. I grow weary holding it in. I cannot endure it. Well, what's happening right now is Jeremiah is so angry with God, he just throws his hands in the air and he says, I quit. Despite the fact that God called him to do that, he says, I can't do it. Forget it. I'm out of here. I quit. But Jeremiah realizes he can't quit. Notice what he says at the very end. Then it becomes like a burning sensation in my heart, imprisoned in my bones. I grow weary holding it in. I cannot endure it. Well, it's the fire of the Holy Spirit. You know, it's burning with inside of him. Therefore, he can't just keep it or contain it. He's got to let it out and continue his vocation of being a prophet. He can't give up. At the time of our baptism, we also receive that fire in our heart. And it's a fire that we can't ignore or deny. It's a fire that reminds us of our first baptismal role that we have to live out. And that is of prophet. Prophets preach, right? I often give you that famous quote from St. Francis. St. Francis of Assisi always told his monks, preach the word of God every day of your life, and if necessary, use words. Well, that's a powerful statement. Our life is a prophetic call to have faith and trust in God, trust in God's presence in our life, trust in his love and his mercy that he has for us. And yet, sometimes it's going to be difficult. Just like Jeremiah experienced, well, that role of prophet for us will be lived out in the shadow of the cross. You know, we may face ridicule ourselves for living out our faith and for what we believe in. I'll give you a great example of this. For decades on end, the Catholics and the Catholic Church has been ridiculed for our stance on life. We believe in the sanctity and the preciousness of all life. Well, now in this day and age, it's marriage. We hold up the sanctity of marriage and believe marriage is only between a man and a woman. And because of this, nearly every day, whether it's in the newspapers, magazines, talk shows, you know, people ridicule us. They say that we're bigots, that we're closed-minded because of our stance on marriage. Well, but that's what we believe. And yet people can't respect that. Well, 
That's essentially the role of a prophet. And yet, sometimes we have to live it in the shadow of the cross. It's not always easy. Now, with that in mind, turn to the second reading. Paul identifies now the second baptismal role that we have to live out, and that is of priest. Now, priest meaning sanctification or living a holy life. Notice what Paul says. I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, your spiritual worship. Do not conform yourselves to this age, but be transformed by God. Before Jesus Christ, the Israelites, they offered sacrifices of animals for the atonement of their sins. We go to confession, but the Israelites offered the sacrifice of animals, goats, oxen, sheep, whatever it was. Now, it's worth noting, these animals were not any broken down animal. Say if you had an ox or a goat and it was on its last legs, you would say, well, I'm going to sacrifice that to God. No, when you made a sacrifice to God, you gave God the very best animal that you had. That's why Jesus is referred to as the unblemished lamb, the perfect sacrifice. Well, that's what you did. But notice what Paul is saying here. He's telling the Christians, well, stop doing that. Instead, offer yourself to God. Offer your will and your intellect, your time and your talent, your heart and your mind. Offer that to God and God will transform it and make it better. If we offer nothing but the best that we have, the gift of ourself, our will, our intellect, our time and our talent, that's the sign of love, the very best that we have. And why not? God deserves nothing but the best. So each and every day of our life, we turn ourselves over to God. We live lives of faith. But sometimes, as Paul reminds us in the second reading, we, li we live out that faith in the shadow of the cross. I'll give you a great example of that. Our parishes here have practiced or started stewardship. Stewardship, at the heart of stewardship, is the mindset of the community comes first and the individual second. The mindset that the people of the faith community say, what can I do to contribute to this faith community? What can I give of my time and my talent and my treasure to build up this faith community so that whatever I give, everyone will benefit. The community will become stronger. But what does our culture sometimes promote? The individual achievement, you know, the glorification of the ego. How often have you heard, well, he or she is a self-made millionaire or pull yourself up by your own bootstraps or, you know, I've got mine. I earned it. I worked hard for it. Now you go get your own. Well, don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with self-made millionaires. That's great. Enjoy it. Congratulations. But the moment you take that and it turns in on yourself so that your attitude or your mindset is, you know, it's all about me. This whole world is about my wants, my desires, my pleasures, and everything else and everyone else is secondary to me. Well, that's the opposite of stewardship. That's the opposite of everything that Jesus taught. It's about the glorification of the person, the ego. And yet, what we have to do is we have to live our faith out as priest. Try and live a good, holy life. Is it going to be easy? No. Sometimes we have to live that out in the shadow of our cross, given the culture that we live in. Now, turn to the gospel. Jesus gives us the last 
baptismal role that we must live out, and that is of king. What do good kings do? Well, they lead people, right? That's what we have to do. Lead people back to the church that have drifted away. Lead people back to God. And we do it by example. But notice what Jesus says. Whoever wishes to come after me must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. St. Augustine once said, and it's a powerful quote, Nothing great is ever achieved without suffering. I'll say that again. Nothing great is ever achieved without suffering. Well, that's so true in life. I'll give you a very simple example. Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan is probably, arguably, the greatest basketball player in our lifetime. How did he become great? Because he suffered. He suffered. When he was in the NBA, during the offseason, when other players were going on vacation or traveling or just cutting loose, where was Michael Jordan? He was back in the gym playing basketball hours and hours every day to hone his technique, his jump shot. Or he was lifting weights to condition his body for the next season. He was suffering. During the season of basketball, there were times in which he was sick and had the flu. And the doctors and the trainers said, you know, just sit this game out. He wouldn't. Instead, he would play and lead his team to victory. There are times in which the arthritis in his knees were so bad he could barely walk. And his coach even told him he was going to sit on the game. But nonetheless, he played and led his team to victory. He suffered. And that, that's what made him great. Such a great player. Well, what Jesus is telling us in the gospel, discipleship always comes at a cost. And I would argue no Christian that lives the gospel can do so without eventually coming to the cross. It's a basic spiritual truth. We share a life with Christ, and that began at our baptism. And it's a call to heroic and self-sacrificing love. Now remember, love in this case, it's not an emotion, a term of affection. It's to will the good of others. Well, let me give you some examples of that. A parent sits at the kitchen table with their son or their daughter at night and helps them with their homework. Well, that's heroic, self-sacrificing love. That parent could be doing many other things, watching a movie, going out and shopping, but instead that parent sits at the kitchen table with their son and daughter and helps them with their homework. Or how about any parish? Any thriving parish always has a myriad of different ministries and activities and services. Well, it couldn't do all those things without volunteers, without parishioners volunteering their time and their talent and their treasure. Well, that's heroic, self-sacrificing love. Those parishioners could have done any other thing for themselves, but they chose to perform those ministries so that other people would be served by them. Again, that's self-sacrificing love. And so, all three of the scripture readings for this weekend remind us of our three baptismal roles that we must live out every day of our life, priest, prophet, and king. But we also realize sometimes we have to live out those roles in the shadow of the cross. And yet, if the burden of that cross is too heavy, will we rely upon others in our faith community to bear the weight? As I always say, we bear each other's burdens, we share each other's joys. And that's the beauty of a faith community. We become the Simon of Cyrene for others in our parish. Therefore, we must embrace these roles, realizing it's not always going to be easy. But 
If we truly want to participate in Jesus' resurrection, then we also must participate in the work of salvation ourselves. And may the peace and the grace of Jesus Christ rest upon you always.